Hello and welcome, friends, to another episode of the Handyman Success Podcast, where our mission is to teach you, the listener, and inspire you uh, to either take your handyman home improvement business to the next level, maybe you're thinking about getting started. Overall, our mission is to teach and inspire through um, really the stories and experience of our guests. Um, so my name is Jason Call, owner of Handyman Marketing Pros. With me is my co-host, Alan Lee, owner of Honestly Handyman Services in Sacramento, and the Handyman Journey uh, Coaching Group. Uh, today we are joined by Malcolm uh, with Style Revamp. Um, he is in actually pretty close to our neck of the woods in the Sacramento region. Uh, so Malcolm, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, if you don't mind uh, just kind of giving us a little uh, uh, background about yourself and uh, what, what you've got going on there. Okay. How far do you want me to go back? <laughs> uh, we'll leave that up to your discretion. <laughs> right. Just after you start well, seeing I, light. Okay, so let, let me just give you a quick overview about how I got to where I am now. So I actually spent probably 25 years in high tech down in the Bay Area, um, doing everything from selling consulting services to large networking systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all along that time, you know, I had always been buying homes. I shouldn't say always been buying homes, but all the homes that I bought for myself, my own occupancy were fixer-uppers. You know, I always bought something that was kind of the dog of the neighborhood and then worked on fixing it up. So I actually, over a period of time, organically started developing skills in just general, you know, woodworking, you know, and household maintenance, painting, drywall, you know, all the various things that we do when we're renovating a home. And then, uh, and I'll never forget the date, December 10th. 2008, this is when the economy was sort of going haywire. Hmm. I got a phone call from my employer, who was at that time American Power Conversion. You know, they, and I was in a big data center group selling big UPSs to data centers, basically saying that my services were no longer required. Wow. And, and of course, you know, that happened at probably the worst possible time, you know, 15 days before Christmas <laughs> and at a time when the economy was really turning south in a hurry. And uh, try as I might for a good long while, I tried to get back into high tech. Um, and it was just uh, a combination of things. You know, I was on the upper end of the age bracket, you know, and they just don't want to hire young, older guys. Um, so that was difficult. Um, and I was at that time living in Rockland. We decided to leave the Bay Area. We came to Rockland and I was, um, uh, you know, got to know a lot of the people in the neighborhood. And they all knew that I had tons of tools in my garage. So they knew that I knew something. And one of my good friends who lived down the street came to me one day. And he goes, he goes, you know, my wife bought this thing from a uh, uh, pottery barn that she wants me to get on the wall today. And I have no clue how to do it. Can you come help me. And I said, well, sure. So I gathered up a few tools, went over to his house 30 minutes later, the thing was hanging on the wall perfectly. And he looked at me and he said to me, he goes, you know, Malcolm, you know, you have skills that people would pay for. Mm -hmm. Like right then and there that the light bulb clicked on. And I said, hmm, maybe since I can't get back into high tech again, maybe what I should do is think about just reinventing myself and doing something entirely different. And so it was at that moment, the style and revamp was born right then and there. Wow. I was about... Uh, that was roughly eight years ago, if I remember correctly. That's how I got awesome. started. Sweet. But, I, I know. I didn't know that history. Thanks for sharing that. No, no worries. I do that because, you know, uh, 
it's not it's not uncommon, especially in this world today, where you know you uh, build you you get uh, you're in one career, and for circumstances that may be entirely out of your control, that just goes away. And the last thing you need to do is just sit around and mope about it. You got to do something else. And so think about how you can reinvent yourself to be value to uh, your community. And that's kind of what I did, you know. So that's how the journey began in what I'm doing now. Awesome. I know a lot of folks have experienced that with COVID layoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. I know there's yeah. been a lot of handyman home improvement businesses that have started since March 2020. So mm-hmm. um, awesome. So Malcolm, it's you and your wife, Lori. Um, if you could kind of give us a little lay of the land as far as, you know, um, like you, the focus that you guys have, like the types of jobs you do, like what you guys do in the business. And um, if you also don't mind sharing, um, you know, uh, like some revenue numbers, maybe like last year and any goals for this year, or really anything on that subject too. Wow. But overall, just to kind of frame your your guys's business and, and where you're at on paper uh, for our listeners. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, can I go back to the beginning when I first got started? Because where I started, yeah, that's great. Now at all, we're yeah. not going to stop you, man. Yeah, that's fantastic. Huh? Let's hear it. <clears throat> so when I first got started, you know, I, when I decided to become, you know, quote a handyman, um, I really had absolutely no idea how to do it. So I had always been hearing all these ads on radio and TV for Home Advisor. So hmm. I said, you know, what the heck? Let me uh, call him up and uh, see what's that all, what that's all about. So I actually got involved with Home Advisor and I started getting their pathetic leads. And by the way, any of you who are out there, I would highly recommend stay away from them. It's not a, at least my experience was not good mm-hmm. at all. But so, but 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 what did happen was I started getting some jobs. Um, and, uh, I started off at a very low rate hourly rate. I think I started at 40 bucks an hour. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't too much longer after that, that I realized mm, 40 bucks an hour is a little on the thin side. So we need to start raising it up. So, um, I started raising my pr- rates a little bit and that was doing a little bit better. Um, and then all of a sudden I started getting, uh, uh, calls from Yelp, the people who had found me on Yelp. Mm-hmm. And I'll be the first one to admit, I, back then, we really knew nothing about um, uh, uh, social media and marketing as, as relates to all these other companies. We knew mm-hmm. nothing about that. But what I did find was, and when it was interesting, was is that these I got some five-star reviews out on Yelp organically. I had no idea they were even out there. <laughs> but people were kind enough to go out and do that. And I started to find that those that, that I started to get a lot of additional business from that. And it just started, that just slowly but surely started to grow. And I found that the Yelp leads by far and away were way better. I found that the, that the home advisor leads were terrible. Um, and the one that finally did it for me that caused me to just t- sit, tell home advisor, please go away, was I got a lead. And they always tell you, as soon as you get it, it comes to you in a text message form. I got the text message. I looked at it. I immediately called the client. Got the client on the phone. So maybe three minutes had gone by. And I told him who I told her who I was and why I was calling. She said, Oh, I've already had the work done. It's already been completed. And right then, so I said, Well, wait a minute, that's impossible. I just got this lead from Yelp. So I called Yelp back and I said, Hey, and home advisor. what was happening? They go, Well, it's too bad, just the way it works. I said, yeah. Okay. Well, here's home advisor, right? Well. Goodbye. <laughs> So anyway, the, the bottom line was, is that slowly but surely we started to build up the, you know, we, our online presence began to grow. 
And again, it was all organically. We, we really weren't pushing it. But then my wife started doing some. This is where she really kicks into play. Uh, she was handling all the back end, but she also started doing a lot of social media marketing, you know, Instagram posts. Uh, Facebook posts, pictures of what we were doing. And it just started growing from there very, very, actually very, very quickly. Um, and uh, about four or five years into the plan, I mean, a lot of the projects I was doing were, let's be very honest, they were, you know, they were outside the scope of what the CSLB allows, the you mm-hmm. know, California State Licensing Board. You know, their rule is, is that any project you do as an unlicensed handyman cannot exceed $500 labor and materials. So I started to get kind of nervous about that because people were asking me to do bigger and bigger projects, and I just didn't want to get in trouble. So at that point in time, I decided to, uh, since a lot of the stuff I was being called into were various kinds of woodworking projects, trim carpentry projects, I uh, went out and I got my license from the state of California. And so now I have a C6 license, which is a um, a cabinetry, millwork carpentry and trim carpentry uh, license. And that gives me the opportunity to do the kind of stuff that we're doing. So what we what has happened is, is that in that period of time, our our business has really veered into that lane. And what we're finding is, is that there are just not a lot of people out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And some of the jobs can be enormously uh, 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 profitable. You know, we just finished a, a project. And let me back up one second further. And one of the other things that we did that's maybe a little bit different than a lot of the other companies that do what you would call classic trim carpentry is that we took the time to really learn how to become really good painters, you know, how to finish mm. stuff to make it look fabulous. And it took some time to do that. Um, but we, you know, I spent a lot of time researching materials, researching techniques, um, and just struggling, trying to figure out how to do this stuff and do it extremely well. So, and as a result of that, you know, we now can, for example, if we do a kitchen, we can put a finish on those kitchen cabinets. that literally looks like it just came out of the factory. It's Hmm. that, you know, it's that good. And just to clarify, too, for our listeners, uh, Malcolm Style Revamp, they've really niched into um, this kind of like custom, uh, beautiful kitchen cabinetry. And I know you guys do like the borders around mirrors, but some some more like trim carpentry like that is their that's their bread and butter that they've transitioned into. So just just wanted to clarify that really quick. Yeah. So we, we do very little of what you would call classic handyman stuff anymore. The only stuff, the only time we really do it now would be in conjunction with some of the larger projects we're doing. Mm-hmm. But going back to what I was saying before, so uh, we had a project up in Cotavadera, which is a very, for those of you who are not familiar with Aria, it's a very ex- exclusive area of the uh, Placer County mm-hmm. um, where we put up 2000 lineal feet of ship lap. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> And uh, and that job we uh, you know that job grossed and and we also finished it and that was a uh, twenty eight thousand dollar project, um, and that was a good project. How long did that do, that take you? One week. One week. How many well, guys did you have working yeah, on? That? I take that back. It was one week. It was a it was five days of installation, and it was five. It was the other guy. Their painters came in afterwards, and it took them five days. So it okay. all told, it was one week for four guys, but it was spread out over a two week period. Right. Um, so two guys were on the carpentry crew, and then two guys came in on the paint crew and did all the paint work. Okay. Um, so it was it was, but you know the material cost was pretty pricey too, though. Mm-hmm. Those materials are not cheap. 
Um, but those, those are, those can be very, very lucrative projects, you know, mm-hmm. now where I can sometimes lose money. Um, and not, I shouldn't say lose money, but not make very much would be on some of the kitchen jobs that we do. Those can be very, very tricky. Um, mainly because, uh, there are just a, a huge number of details that you have to make sure you account for. Um, and if any one of those goes south, you know, you can find yourself in a hole that you have to dig out of. So mm-hmm. kitchen jobs can be, they can be good, but they can also be, they can also be, uh, tough. And, and what we do, what makes us a little bit different in our kitchen jobs is we're not just like a, a typical, um, painting company that will come in and take down your cabinet doors and repaint them and put them back up there. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. We literally re, you know, refresh the entire space. So we'll take off all the cabinet doors, all the drawer fronts, all those go away. We order all brand new ones of a different style. Usually the popular style right now is a shaker style, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll go ahead and, and we'll, we'll paint those, we'll remount them. But then the other thing that we do is we do a lot of where we modify the, uh, the the cabinet structure. For example, on the project we're on right now, uh, the client wanted all their cabinets taken to the ceiling. So we will build what we call box extensions, which are will then go up on top of the existing cabinets, take it up to the ceiling. We'll crown that off. Hmm. We have all new doors and stuff made for that. Um, sometimes we'll take the actual, uh, uh, we'll actually take out maybe the, uh, the cooktop section of the of this of the cabinet run rip that out entirely so they can slip in a brand new freestanding range and okay. unit uh then build a, a new uh, uh vent enclosure like a shiplap enclosure etc taken up to the ceiling so we do a lot of really what i call you know custom work that is not typical of most of the guys that are out there and, right. and quite frankly that's all that's an area where you can make money. You can also lose money doing that if you're not careful. But it's also a huge differentiator between you and somebody else's out there because very few mm-hmm. people are doing it. In fact, I don't know anybody else is doing it. So when when did you specifically make this transition to doing like just um, strictly carpentry stuff and kitchen stuff? Like, and what are the what are the specific like gross revenue numbers look like? Like maybe you know a few years ago when you were doing just handyman stuff, what was your gross revenue? as compared to where it is now. What oh, is that? I, What's yeah, I, I would say, you know, when I first got started way back when, uh, I would say the first year I did it, I think I barely, I don't even think I cleared 50 grand that first year. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't even, I don't think it was close. Uh, now, you know, if, you know, on a good month, if things are going according the, accordingly, you know, we can gross anywhere from 40 to even 50,000 a month. That's mm-hmm. close. Now, Believe me, there's a lot of costs associated. I, I don't don't for a second think that I'm walking away with tons of cash in my pocket. I'm not. I wish I could say I was, but I'm not, man. It's like you know, I sometimes feel like I have a shop back hooked up to my wallet, you know, just sucking all the money out of it. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're grossing a lot. I'm not making as much on that gross as I would like. So right now my focus is uh, on really fine tuning business processes, fine tuning operational processes, what we're doing in the field to just make sure that things go smoother, faster, cleaner. And that's Mm -hmm. everything from, you know, just trying to figure out the most efficient way of doing something and then making certain that we have the right equipment and tools that can allow us to get it done in a hurry. So I've Mm -hmm. invested a lot in equipment and machinery 
uh, to help the processes go faster. You know. So if if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, maybe uh, if this is too much of a personal question, I understand. But out of that gross, like forty fifty k a month, what are you what are you bringing in like profit? Like after you're paying all your guys, after you're paying materials. Do you not have enough. a rough number on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, 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 if I do a fifty grand, you know, uh, in a month, and it depends upon the project that I'm doing. That's where it gets hard to, you know, I, I can't give you an exact number, mm-hmm. um, but it depends upon the project. For example, on that shiplap job I was telling you about, that was actually very profitable. I just mm-hmm. finished another shiplap job where we also, you know, built a custom hearth and a, a custom mantle in another house. And that was 6,000 bucks for that job. Mm-hmm. And that took me just a couple of days to do it. Those jobs I do really well. The kitchen job I'm on right now is a money pit. You know, that mm-hmm. was, and we drive, but it's also because we do, we, we ended up doing a lot of other things beyond just the kitchen itself. We ended mm-hmm. up rebuilding the entire staircase the way way into the house um we built all new box beam or box uh newel posts and just a number of other things repainted everything we're putting in iron balusters in the railing it took away all the spindles but that that job is really that one is actually costing me money so at Mm -hmm. the end of the day at the end of the day you know if i can you know if i'm running at at about ten thousand bucks in my pocket i'm doing good i think Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't always work out that way, but that's on a good month. Right. Right. So what, so, uh, on, as far as like your goals and like working on business processes and kind of from my understanding, just kind of improving profitability with your yeah. current uh, overhead, um, what, what do you, do you have like something that you're shooting for or just like really anything above that 10? You're like, all right, cool. Uh, sure. is there a specific goal that you have profitability? Uh, I don't, I, I, what I want to what I want to do is yeah yes there is I, I want to get it up to where I'm roughly profitable about twenty grand a month you know mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that yet you know that I mean it, it's it's not it's one thing to put a number down on a piece of paper it's another thing to be able to get there you know yeah yeah. It starts so, with putting it on the paper, though. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it's officially begun. <laughs> That's all right. So right now, the big thing I'm working on now is one of the areas where I know that I'm, I'm that I have a challenge. And anytime you're doing the work, what I call custom work, uh, it's really hard to estimate those accurately. And that's probably the most difficult thing. So, but right now, but I'm focused on, for example, if I'm doing a uh, built-in project, like I'm doing one right now for a client out in Folsom, um, where I'm doing on both sides of a fireplace, I'm doing some very contemporary built-in cabinets with floating shelves above them. And what I've done is I've really uh, focused on taking the time to understand how long does it take to build a particular cabinet box? Okay. So when I say cabinet box, you know, typically if you look at your kitchen cabinets, they come in specified sizes usually, and they will be anywhere from, you know, 24 to 36 inches wide, you know, by a specified height, they're usually 31 and a half inches high. And when you put your toe kick in, it takes you up to 35 and a half. So looking at that and understanding the cost of doing that, both from a material standpoint from a uh, labor of fabricating it standpoint of view and then labor uh, and materials to actually put a finish on it and then installation, breaking down all those costs. So I, I can have a very clear understanding of how much is costing me to do this so that when I do put together an estimate, 
I have some fairly accurate numbers. In other words, what I'm trying to do is, is break down the custom part into a series of smaller modular components, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And also just, just so you just keep going on, uh, cause one of our questions is how, how you're estimating jobs. So if you don't mind just giving us the full scoop on how, how you're estimating these kind of sure. custom jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, well, with kitchen, with kitchen cabinets, I, I, I know, uh, you know, I, I've actually got that down fairly, fairly well in terms of, I know what it costs me to buy my, you know, my finished, uh, you know, doors and drawer fronts, et cetera. And then they they charge me by the square foot. So when I go in and estimate a job, I just go in and literally measure the lineal footage, both Mm -hmm. width and height and depth. And then I calculate a a square footage that I can then use to for my cost. So, for example, doors and drawer fronts, if I'm doing a paint grade material, it costs me eight dollars and ninety seven cents a square foot. So if I've got 63 square feet, I know that's about what my cost is going to be. So then I take that price. And I add to it what I know is going to be the labor to do it. And then I take that number and double it when I have everything finished. So I try to take all my costs, both labor and materials. Uh, and, and that includes also the amount of overhead. So the other, other part of factoring in uh, on an estimate is I take my monthly um, fixed cost of overhead. I'm not saying this is the best way to do this while I'm doing it. But I take my monthly fixed cost for overhead and I basically divide it by the number of workdays in a month. And then for every day, I think I'm going to be on a project. Let's say like this built-in is going to take two weeks to finish, start to finish. Um, it, I add one day, I add two weeks of overhead to that project. So that project is covering two weeks of my overhead. And then I also add in some profit, you know, because the business has to make a profit too, besides mm-hmm. me. Okay. And so that gets added in as well. And then that's how I come up with my final price. Okay. That makes sense? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what are, uh, like, what is, I guess, some of your biggest, like, challenges when it comes to estimating? Is it just the variance of the different jobs and spaces? Yeah, that is absolutely the biggest challenge. And that's, and, and again, this kind of falls back into getting into your lane and staying in your lane. So I'm also looking at with the, some of the projects that we're doing, and I am, I'm saying, okay, we're not going to do one like that anymore, at least not for a while, Okay. And I've kind of gone back again. It's taken a few steps backwards to say, okay, I'm going to um, focus on this set of core kinds of projects, do only those and get really good at those and really profitable at those. And then as we kind of have all of our systems and processes worked out for those, then work our way slowly into taking on expanding our offering into different areas of of custom work. Because almost everything we do is custom. Although I'm trying as hard as I can to take custom and break it down into uh, um, an aggregate of uh, smaller uh, uh, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? more um, uh, predictable jobs. By the way, your video has gone haywire on me. You're yeah, not- I know. It's ours as well. We're, we're working on that, some technical difficulties. But uh, we can continue talking nonetheless. Um, so in your business, uh, can you tell me a little bit about, do you have employees? Do you have 1099 contractors? Like, what does that kind of labor force look like? 1099 contractors. Right 1099 okay. contractors. And by the way, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Okay. When I say that I have challenges on projects, it's with manpower. That's the number one. Right. Oh, yeah. So that you would say that's your number one 
issue yes. kind of yeah. okay manpower yes. without a doubt not not only are they expensive you know because these guys the the lowest paid guy that i will bring in is at 25 the highest paid guy is at 35 or 40 bucks an hour mm-hmm. um, so if 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 you just for blink and slightly underestimate the amount of time that those guys are going to take to complete a particular task, right. you're going to lose money on that. You really, oh, definitely. In a, in a hurry. And I mean, in a big hurry. Um, so in my opinion, that is, that's the one thing that it just is funny. I just, in the last three weeks or so, I've been reflecting on all of this, going back and looking at old numbers. In fact, my wife brought this up. She goes, you know, we made more money a year ago than we are now. And I realized where what the, there's there was one major difference, and that was one guy that I brought in that cost me a lot of money. He's very good at what he does. Don't get me wrong, but he's also a lot slower than I anticipated him to be. Mm-hmm. So the time it takes him to complete a job sometimes will uh, exceed what I anticipated that it would, and as a consequence, that's where I can lose some money right there. So mm-hmm. those are those are some of the challenges. So if I were to roll it backwards, and th- these are 1099 guys, I think I would start going back and picking up some uh, more like apprentice type guys that I could mm-hmm. bring in and slowly train in, in our sweet spot, in our in our lane, mm-hmm. and um, and get them up to speed so that they and, – and, and, and my goal is to get to a point where I'm not the main carpenter on the job. I'm just – I'm in the background filling in mm-hmm. if necessary, but I'm more in the, in the role of driving the business. That's what yeah. I want to do. That's what I'm trying to get. That's cool. So, so as far as your 1099s go, do you mind sharing kind of like how that pricing structure goes? Cause I know that we have guys that kind of question, should I go W2? Should I go 1099? And then like, also, what do you pay a 1099 and how do you do that? Do you do like percentage of the job or what does that look like for you guys? I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure I understand the question, Alan. So like when, when you hire someone to be a 1099 contractor, do you give them like say 20% of the labor or do you give them a flat hourly rate? How do you pay them, them? I give them a flat hourly rate. Okay. Although one of the, one of the, one of the changes that I am making is that, and these are with my finish guys, the guys that come in and do all my finish work. Um, I'm, I'm, what I'm starting to do is I'm, sharing with them prior to starting the project. This is the project we're going to do. Give me a quote for your end of it. You're going to finish it. You know, how much you want to charge me to do that. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I'm doing that is because uh, I, I'm trying to eliminate the, the, yeah, I'm trying to eliminate having to go back and pay for mistakes that they may have made. If right. that makes sense. In mm-hmm. other words, if they're if they're kind of working for me on an hourly rate and they 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 screw something up, then I have to cover the cost of them fixing that. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do was at least for a period of time until we have everything really worked out and running fairly smooth, is to have them quote the project to me. Then if, so if they say, okay, we're going to paint all the kitchen cabinets and we're going to charge you six thousand dollars to do that. I say, great. You know, I'll specify right. the materials they have to use. I'll mm-hmm. specify the processes that they have to use. In other words, uh, two coats of primer, two coats of finished coat. You know, we're going to use a catalyzed polyurethane paint on the surfaces, you know, so we have a really hard, durable, beautiful finish when it's done, um, you know, and all, you know, and and they're going to then base their price on using all that stuff and following those r- set of rules when we do it. That way I can kind of like, um, what I'm trying to do is if I eliminate all the hassles and the worries about, 
what can go wrong in the finishing job, then I can turn around and refocus my efforts on what we're doing and getting everything worked out to the point of getting to the finishing job. In other words, all the carpentry, all the preparation work, you know, sourcing the materials, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, that that makes more sense. And then at that point, it kind of becomes like an expense, just like materials are. It's like, okay, what are you going to charge me to do these cabinets? And then you just factor that into your pricing. That's exactly right. That's it. You know, maybe put a little markup on it if you want or whatever it's going to take. Absolutely put a markup on it. Nothing is free. (laughs) (laughs) That's Because at the end of the day, I'm still responsible for the job. So. You know, I, 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 there has to be a profit in there for me to even, you know, otherwise you could just say to the client, well, I'm not going to do that. You can go find right. someone else. Hire know? this guy to do it. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. I think that's a, that's a good topic. And that kind of brings up another thing. Um, it's kind of a, a debate or a conversation that's been happening for years. But do you mark up your materials? And if so, how much? Yes. What does I that do. look like? Yeah. yeah. It's somewhat, you know, I wish I, I, I don't really have a standard number. Sometimes it's somewhat dependent upon the client the location, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm tr- I try to be somewhere around 50%. So if I'm paying yeah. a hundred bucks for a, for a, a piece of casing, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to charge them 150 for it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good, uh, <clears throat> that's a good, you know, formula to use. We, uh, we used to use kind of a matrix where it's like, depending on the price of the item, we yeah. would, you know, mark it up more or mark it up less, depending this or that. But now we kind of just multiply everything by 60%. You know, we kind of just do a flat 60% markup on everything. And it, it tends to work out well um, for both us and the client. It uh, makes it easy peasy, just 60% and good yeah. to go. So I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, in fact, there, I, I, I've been thinking about even taking it up a little bit higher. But um, uh, I, right now I'm, I'm running it at, at 50%. But, you know, that also brings up something I, I kind of briefly – blew by that when I said it depends sort of upon the project and the client where they're located. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I've actually learned very quickly is that, um, you know, you can't do, not everybody, this is not, this is not meant to sound arrogant in any way, but let's be, let's face it. Not everybody is going to be able to afford your projects. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I get a call, for example, from someone um, uh, in let's say North Highlands, as mm-hmm. an example, I know that they're not going to be able to afford, uh, what it is that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I try to, um, um, you know, weed them out fairly quickly, not in a, right. in a mean way, but just, you know, basically, uh, let them know roughly what the price is going to be so that they can decide to, to move on, which mm-hmm. brings me to another thing too. And that is that in this custom world that we have, you can spend an enormous amount of time just running around looking at jobs that you might never get. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've done is I really have put a focus on making sure that I, before I set foot into a client's office or home, mm-hmm. I know that they are prepared, that they know about what this is going to cost within plus or minus a certain range yeah. uh, and that they're prepared to spend that kind of money. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it, it, you're just going to waste your time. And this is something I tell other guys who say, look, know know if they can afford it before you even bother going out there, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I get a response from email, for example, I'll take a look at what they have. We always ask for a description of what they want to do. Uh, And by the way, Jason, you know this, we have set up on our website so that they can click on request an online estimate. Uh, they give us the details of what they want to do. It comes into our email system and I'll always send it back saying, Hey, send me inspiration photos of what you're looking for. Yeah. 
this is what you have, but show me what you want. And I can take a look at that and I can guess, guess and, and get fairly, not, not exactly uh, on the number, but within a range of, say, let's say plus or minus 20%, either up or down. I can mm -hmm. give them a rough idea about what that's going to cost. And they'll say, hey, that's in our budget. Come on out. Let's do it. Or they'll say, no, that's a little bit more than we wanted to spend. Thank you very much. And I'd say, okay, that's great. I just saved myself a trip, you know? Right. Yeah, you can you can weed people out right from the get. That's one thing that we've really implemented this year is just just being straight up with someone, being like, okay, you need even you could do it on small stuff, right? Oh, you need a kitchen faucet and you know a garbage disposal. You're probably looking at you know at the end of the day when it's all said and done, materials, everything like that. You know, you might be looking at five hundred bucks depending on what we're getting this and that. And mm. if that number sounds outrageous to them, you know, then obviously they need to go somewhere else, and that's fine. They're just not the client for us, you know, and that's exactly right. And the, the price may change, like, you know. So, yeah. So what we have found is, is that uh, our sweet spot from a geographical standpoint of view in our area is Placer County. That's where the mm -hmm. money. Is. Yeah, uh, definitely. That, and, you know, <laughs> El Dorado Hills. And then if you want to consider Sac County, it would be probably most likely Folsom in that mm -hmm. area there. Um, and so we do a, that. That's pretty much where we kind of. That's our sort of uh, sphere of operation, you know, and so that's a that's a I think that's a, especially if you're starting out um, trying to understand who your clients are and who your clients are not, you know, mm -hmm. and, and understanding that very, very quickly. By the way, can yeah. you see is my video working to you? No, you're working great. Yeah, we're just having some technical difficulties on our end, but conversation works nonetheless so good thing it's a podcast good thing <laughs> <laughs> um okay. yeah that actually there was a post the other day in, in our facebook group that was that asked basically like hey what do you guys think about going after like property management companies and to me it was like the wrong question like the first question is like you know what, what kind of customer are you trying to serve right and so narrowing yep. that down first and then if they fall in that bucket then yeah you should definitely investigate that but um so it's it's a great um thing that every business owner needs to look at and that, you know, most, you know, they probably don't or they, they take a long time to realize like, oh, I need to just be serving my ideal client or else I'm going to be wasting a lot of time and, yeah. you know, killing my profitability. And I imagine that's underscored in the custom work that, that you do, Malcolm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I would, you know, I, I, I will tell you this, Mike, I, I did work for a number of property management companies uh, back when I was doing more, what I would call the general handyman work. And I will tell you that I, I uh, after a period of time, I said, you know what, uh, you know, they, they are not, they're not, they, they are, they're, they're not really interested in paying for value. They're interested in paying just to get the damn thing done. And, and so hmm. that it looks marginally good and that their tenants won't complain. Um, and that just wasn't me. I, I, that's not my, that's not the kind of work that I like to do. So I, I started to steer away from them. And not to mention the fact, that they tend to be pretty cheap. They don't want to spend a lot of money, you know? So um, I found that working for property management companies uh, was just not, not something I really wanted to do long-term. Yep. Um, and so on that note, um, what, if you don't mind kind of talking about your transition from going from, uh, you know, largely handyman into the custom work, mm -hmm. uh, it, could you kind of flesh that out? Cause I know a lot of our listeners, like they, they have their desired niche that they're looking to go into. I know uh, there's a lot of people that want to do carpentry. Um, if you don't mind kind of fleshing that out and like how you made that jump and, uh, just what sure. that transition looked like for you. Yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, 
uh, I started to get just a, a couple of requests. Well, let me back up. So my my brother uh, owns a a very large uh, commercial millwork and cabinetry shop down in South Sacramento. Um, he employs probably fifty guys, and they they do largely. Uh, commercial uh, cabinetry, you know, like reception desks. You go into hospitals, you see the big reception desks and all the fancy countertops and everything. That's what they do. And I've I've worked with him on and off for, over the years. And he's actually has worked for me too. He works. He's one of the ten ninety nine guys that I bring in from time to time. Um, but anyway, so I, I I started getting some requests from clients where I was out just doing general handyman work, saying, you know we're thinking we'd like to have this built in, in this area right here. Uh, do you know anybody that can do that? Uh, is that something that you can do? And I said, well, no, I can't really build it. I know somebody who can, I can install it for you if they, if we get it built. So that's kind of how it, that's one of the ways it got started was I started just getting random requests for things that were just a little bit outside of the, what you would call the traditional um, handyman uh, work. Um, and when that got posted out on Yelp from some of the people that I was doing work for, uh, you know, it just kind of, just, it just kind of grew. Uh, for example, I did a project in, in Folsom for a, a client that had just come here from the Bay area and they had in their master bedroom, they wanted to do this grid work of, of wall uh, trim that was kind of done in a panel, sort of a panel look. It's, it's on my website. Um, and I, I did that and they were absolutely thrilled with how it turned out. And it really did turn out fabulous. Unbeknownst to me, she took pictures of it and posted it to Yelp with a five-star review. You know, and I started getting calls off of that. You know, awesome. I didn't even know she did it. She, they just did it. Um, and um, so, you know, you start, you know, so just little by little. So somebody will call you up then when they see that and they'll say, well, I have something that's a little bit different, but this is kind of what I'm thinking I want to do. Is that something you can do? And we would say, uh, uh, I would say, yeah, you know, I, I can give that. I'll give that a shot. And mm -hmm. so I, we just started slowly but surely getting these requests in around um, uh, the handyman work that were more what I would call carpentry related. In fact, they were very much more carpentry related. Right. And we, you know, I was, I was starting to make a little bit more money when I was doing those. But the one that finally tipped the scale was I, um, uh, a woman from our church, Alan, from uh, Bayside, mm -hmm. um, had a kitchen that she wanted to redo. And I had been in there doing some fancy carpentry work around for some, some mirror trim and some other stuff, which is also one of the ones on my website. And she really, for whatever reason, she just really liked me personally. You know, mm -hmm. she and her husband did. So she had this job where she wanted to um, uh, refresh their entire kitchen. And she wanted, she asked me if I'd be willing to do it. And I, and I, and I, my first reaction was, no, I, I'm not doing that. It's way outside of what I'm comfortable doing. <clears throat> and then, you know, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, if you know, if you don't, if you don't stretch, you're never going to grow. Right? right. Yep. So I finally said, okay, I'll do it. So I, uh, and that involved, uh, you know, you know, refitting all the kitchen cabinets with pull out drawers, you know, down in the storage areas, you know, pull out drawers for pots and pans and all new doors and, and, and drawer fronts. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. And I'll never forget when I was doing the painting work, I was doing it at my house and 
I literally went into my live into my whole downstairs in my house and I laid out two by fours over all the floor and I mm. painted all these cabinets and I took our doors and door fronts and I had my boys and my wife, I would paint them and they would run in and set them down on these two by fours in the <laughs> living room, in the dining room and in the family room. So it could dry. It was just, a, mm. it was a freaking nightmare to do it, but it turned out really, really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I posted that on our website, and sure enough, boom! I got another call from someone mm-hmm. else, and it was from a referral from a real estate agent that had just sold a house to a woman who was coming from Citrus Heights into Lincoln, and she wanted to redo her kitchen. So mm-hmm. I got that job. Boom! That got posted on the website, and then shortly after that, um, I got a call from one of our uh, good friends that live here in the neighborhood. They wanted me to do the same thing. But this one was a much, much more substantial job. And uh, I, I, I did this one. All, and by the way, all along this time, I was in the process of getting my license so I could do this stuff legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just sort of grew from there. So now we've done, I can't, I don't, I'm not even sure how many. We've got, I think I got five kitchens. I haven't even posted them yet on the website. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even done that yet. And a bunch of other really cool commercial uh, uh, woodworking projects that we've done as well. So, so the other, the, so that's the other thing. So, I, you know, when you mentioned custom woodworking, that pulls in a lot of uh, traffic. Um, you know, the the built-ins and the floating shelves and the mantles and all these kinds of things. They're they're just a big draw right now. You know. Yeah, so, and I think by and large that custom woodworking, right? Like to me, yeah. that screams more high-end client than like you would just just organically get more clients from like Catavadera than North yeah. Islands, right? Because yeah. True. That's just the way it works, right? So, yeah. um, and uh, one other kind of side note to this too, Malcolm, um, if if you don't mind, you kind of explain the transition, how you are now focusing on that. You know, that's based, that's the work that you guys do. Um, uh-huh. For anyone that's looking to get into that, like, what kind of pitfalls or like any any kind of like tools or something that sure. they need to be thinking about uh, to to make that transition for real? Yeah, <laughs> you know, not just kind of. Uh, like every single week, you know, you got cabinets like drying out in your living room. (laughs) Well, what we, what we've done is we have, um, um, refocused our efforts so that we basically turn our client's site into our workshop. That's, Hmm. we don't have a dedicated workshop or workspace anyplace. Uh, so we, um, we pretty much go to our client's site, we set up. You know, we're, if we're lucky, we have a covered patio out back that we can set up shop at uh, and uh, we go from there. So the kinds of things that I've invested in tool wise are things that that make it easy for one or two guys to handle and do the kinds of things at a client site that a cabinet maker can do in their, you know, 50,000 mm-hmm. square foot plant. Uh, so we've invested in tools and equipment that allow us to do that uh, to a great degree. Maybe certainly not as efficiently as they can do it, but I'm not also paying for their overhead either. Right. That's, that's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. So we've, in, you know, I've invested in things like, uh, you know, high-end track saws, a lot of stuff in dust extraction because, you know, dust becomes a major problem on the job in, at a customer site. It's a huge problem that, you know, you have to take pains to try to uh, deal with that. Uh, so we've, I've spent a lot of money there. I've spent a lot of money on finishing equipment, you know, the right kinds of uh, airless, you know, 
uh, uh, paint sprayers and tips and guns and you know uh, we spent I spent a ton of money on pest tool sanders you know that can really do a fine job of sanding and extracting dust you know we can go in and sand a kitchen cabinet and pick up 99% of the dust hmm. right there at the source you know so all these little kinds of things are things that you know are are the the places where I've spent a lot of money you know um, a lot of the hand tools that we have are high end is high end stuff because you know we're doing delivering trying to deliver a high end project and sometimes it's hard to do that with low end tools. That's not saying yep. you can't do it. You certainly can, but it's a lot easier if you got the good stuff to do it. You know, yeah. so um, that and, and that's what we you know what you know Jason answered your question. We've been investing in that kind of stuff uh, actually for the last couple of years, slowly but surely over time. Um, there you go. That's fantastic. Um, I know that we talked a little bit before the podcast about this this idea of sticking in your own lane. Can you yeah. can you talk a little bit about that uh, to to the viewers here? Just kind of about choosing what you want to do or what you're good at and sticking with that. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and why it might be beneficial? Oh <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So um, you know one of the one of the I think the downsides to a handyman business is that you get calls for, as I was telling you about, I had one of the guys that works for me from time to time is trying to kind of be sort of being sort of a part-time handyman guy. And he'll go from, you know, one day he's doing yard cleanup for a client to the next day where he's fixing drywall or dry rot. You know, so he's sort of like all over the place, you know, and what he's doing. And, 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 and I, I mean, I understand the motivation in doing it. Don't get me wrong. He's doing anything he can for the sake of just being able to generate a billable dollar. Hmm. And as, as I say, I understand the, the necessity of doing that. But I, as I told him, I said, I said, look, I said, if you keep doing what you're doing the way you're doing it, all you're going to end up being is just a glorified laborer, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is not necessarily a bad thing if you want to build a business around that kind of a model. But I don't see you wanting to do that. What I I see where you have skills and where you're good at it, where you're good, is that's where you want to focus your time and your effort. Not only because, A, you can build up a really good clientele in those spaces and you can work out your processes to such a point that you really become, you know, you start making some money, you know, you're making some good money, you know, and you're not just all over the board, hither and yon, you know, so you're not having to, you know, invest in a tile saw one day and a power washer the next day. That makes no sense. You know, you know, are you a power washer or are you a tile setter? What are you? You know, so find your lane. What is it you want to do? Focus in that area. And then do everything you can to do on the back end to build up your uh, your your name and your company's name in that space. That's what you want to do. That's what I think. So that, and that's kind of what we've been doing. We've kind of decided, well, this is the space that we want to occupy. And we're going to try to really focus on really getting good and profitable in this space. And then when we feel like we're in that, when we're doing that, doing well in that area, now we can maybe reach out and maybe expand that which we're going to do just a little bit at a time. Get Mm -hmm. good at that, build up a presence in that area, and then do it again with something else, you know, but just slowly do it. Don't try to be all things to all people right off the shoot. You can't do it. Love it. I think that's so, that's so true. And I mean, for instance, like Malcolm, you're like third, you know, maybe 20 minutes up the road from me. So we, me, 
I do not do custom carpentry. <laughs> I don't build, you know, like I build things for function, not form. You know what I mean? And so whenever someone wants me to build something for form, I'm like, call Malcolm. Like he's the guy, you know? So I think it's very important to know what you want to do and also what you're good at. Because yeah. I think more importantly than just the money is like providing a good quality product to your client is what's more important. So if you can't do something satisfactory or if you can't do something with excellence like don't do it like i hate custom carpentry i hate painting so malcolm you can do all of that <laughs> yeah i i listen I, i'm with you and, and you know and i'm 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 like um i'm not there are a lot of guys like me but there's a lot of guys who are not mm-hmm. and that is is that even if i'm losing money at a project i'm not going to walk away from it until i know it's done right and it looks good and it's a quality product, right? Integrity. Yeah. Integrity integrity is a huge piece of that. And even though you might lose money at it, you know, word on that gets out. I'll give you an example. I just, I was just finished up doing this. um, This client had a, uh, uh, an office or actually a small sitting room off the entryway of their house. They wanted to do something in there. They wanted to do some shiplap and they were concerned about the cost of it. And they wanted to demo out the existing fireplace facade. It was in these old, ugly, cast stone fireplace facades that you see a lot out there. Mm-hmm. They didn't like that anymore. And so they asked me what I could do. So I said, well, I said, we can, you know, we can rip out this and I can build you a different hearth. You know, something that looks more like it's supposed to be here. That has a correct scale and size to the room because the previous mm-hmm. one didn't have that. So. And they said, well, you know, and so they showed me a picture. I showed us some pictures of similar projects. I then they say, well, I want that one just right like that. Hmm. And it was the same, you know, and this was the hearth was being made out of wood where I custom made it. And the same thing with the mantle. I custom made the mantle. And um, when I stained it, it turned out terrible. Absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. I looked at it and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> And, and the client comes in, the client comes in and says, oh, I like it. I said, really? I said, I don't like it. <laughs> and, but, but he was, you know, he, he said, well, I, I think it looks good. I said, I, you know, Tim, I said, forgive me, but I, I don't think it looks good. Hmm. So I basically took, at my own expense, I spent the next day completely sanding all that wood until I got all the stain out of it. And I started all over again. And then the next time I did it, I got it the way I wanted it. I changed my process a little bit. So I got it the way I wanted it. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that I knew it wasn't right. And I wasn't going to let it stand, even though he liked it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, and I know that a lot of guys would say, oh, hey, you like it? Okay, great. I'm out of here. Boom. <laughs> I'm gone. But I, I just, I just, I wasn't going to do that, you know? Right. That's awesome, man. I love it. And uh, that's, that's huge. I think integrity is huge in business and, Word travels fast, whether you want that word to be good or bad, it's going to travel, you know. Um, So wrap it up here. We got here about 10 minutes left. Uh, What would you shit? Is this this of any value to you, by the way? This is huge value. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, the integrity piece, I mean, that's that's like a trait of any long-term successful business owner, whether you're a solo owner, operator, or scaling a company. Without integrity, you're not going to maintain you know, your clientele, you're not going to spread a good, you know, good reviews and good word across town. Um, so it's, it's a trait that I think starts with the owner and leadership yeah. and then trickles through to anyone that's working for you. Um, I'm going to use it. You're just not yeah. going to succeed. I'm going to use a word of profanity here. I hope you don't mind just one time. 
you know, and the way I would sum it up is simply this, you know, sometimes you just got to give a shit, you know, mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. You do, you have to care. Yeah. I have one client up in Cotavadero, which is where we did a whole bunch of custom um, uh, carpentry for him. <clears throat> and right next door to him, they have a, a, a house. These are freaking expensive homes. I might Yeah. Have. Those are big you know, ones. <laughs> yeah. And, and right next door, there's this house where they, did a, a great big landscaping job <clears throat> and they, I don't know what, why, but they made, they had to be, put some equipment in there, but they had to, they had a fracture in the fence and in the, in the top rail across the top of the fence. And the way they fixed it was they went back in and they just took a two foot piece of two by four and nailed it on both sides of the break and walked away and left it. And that's been there for two years. And every time I go to their house, I look over there and say, have they not come back and fixed that yet? Wow. It looks terrible. You know, it really mm-hmm. was, but they didn't, you know? Wow. Interesting. So, but that's an example where somebody, sometimes they just don't care. I, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm going, you know? Mm-hmm. And and believe me, that will catch up to you in the long, actually pretty quickly, it'll catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. And I'm Especially if you the, if you're the leader and the owner, you know, if you aren't showing care, then that's just the example you're setting for anyone you're training or on the yeah. job with you. And that, that just has a really nasty trickle effect that I'm sure we've all witnessed through, you know, our own art, mm-hmm. like other companies servicing our homes or, you know, any kind of service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's toxic. So, so as we kind of, uh, wrap up here we got about 10 minutes left uh what would you say have has been your biggest wins and your biggest losses in business kind of in general uh well i let me think here um that's kind of a loaded question you know <laughs> i would yeah it's 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 kind of hard to so i would say that probably the biggest wins would be um when you run across that spot in your in your lane, if you will, that turns out to be kind of profitable, hmm. and your biggest loss is exactly the same. You're when you run across that spot in the lane that you've chosen that you're not doing so good. Hmm. But not to give up. The key is is that the fact that you're doing it means that there's a market for it, uh, and what it just means is you've got to figure out how to do it better. You know, mm-hmm. that's 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 a never ending cycle process, you know, about process improvement, business process improvement, which is you have a cycle from start. What can we do to make it better than so that the outcome is better at the end? And when you get to the end, you come right back to the beginning again and start all over again and say, how can we even be better yet? And that's just a never ending cycle of improvement, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get better at it. How you know, what are all the things, for example, just the process of of bidding a job. You know, I sat down one day and just started writing out, actually typing out just a list of all the different things that we not only are, our customers are asking us to make, but all the materials that are involved in that. And the thought was, okay, well, maybe what I can do is I can put a monetary value on every one of these items on this list. And then as I'm doing a bid and a quote for a client, I'll simply go through and eliminate the ones I don't need, you know? And at the end of it, I'll be done with a, uh, a uh, itemized list of all the stuff I'm going to need and what I think that's going to cost. So that's actually something I'm working on right now, just to try to make that process faster and better and more accurate. Because when you're bidding custom jobs, it, you know, it's, it's hard to pin down labor and materials, you know, estimated times, all those different things, you know, I mean, it's just all the little stuff. Like, for example, how long does it take you to 
pack up all your tools and move them to a job site and set up. How right, long does it take you to all that? clean them up? Huh? And then clean them and up. Clean yeah. them all up. Clean up the job site when you're done. How long yep. is it, you know, how much does it cost to buy tape, plastic, and paper to, to uh, mask off a kitchen? Take mm-hmm. a wild guess. What do you think that would cost, just by the way? You know, I'm, I'm buying masking tape, few rolls of plastic, you know, some paper, just so I can mask off around, a, you know, cabinets and do all this kind of stuff, protect the floors. Take mm. a wild guess. I mean, I bet, I bet you could, depending on the size of thing, you could probably have 50, 75 bucks in that materials. Oh, I, I wish I could get it for 50 <laughs> That would well, be... you're not buying it from the dollar store. <laughs> yeah, evidently not. No, I mean we probably spent off brand three three hundred fifty bucks just on on. on wow! Stuff. Holy cow! I wouldn't even have thought that. So yeah, wow. I mean, it's amazing how quickly it all adds up. I mean, yeah. material costs, especially now with the prices going out of sight everywhere around you, is you got to really keep your finger on it. Um, yeah, I think anyway, that's where it comes down to is like you have to know your numbers and everything. Like yeah. you have to sit, like people ask me all the time, like, what should I charge for this? What should I charge for that? How much should I be making per hour? But it's like, you have to literally take the time, sit down, write out all your expenses. And I love your idea of write out how much does a roll of tape cost? How much, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like figure out how much this stuff's going to cost you and how long it's going to take. And then you do the equations and figure out what you need yeah. to charge appropriately, yeah. you know? I, I would true. tell you, yeah, I would tell you that the devil's in the details. And when I say that, I mean, there are all the little tiny hidden costs that if you're not accounting for them, that can really cost you dearly. You know, yeah. that's why, for example, and on a kitchen job in particular, man, there's a lot of them. There are just yeah. a lot of little things that you have to account for. And it's like 10 bucks here, 15 bucks there, 20 bucks here, 30, 40, 50, you know, and it just, it adds up in a hurry, you know? Yeah. So yeah. At the end of each job, one of the things I do is I, I, I keep uh, every receipt that I receive and every every everything I get to complete a job that goes in the file. And at the end, I add up all these numbers and I take a look at what I estimated versus what I actually spent to mm-hmm. see how I'm doing on that to try to make adjustments. You know, and that can be a real eye opener. I'm telling you, that's an yeah. eye opener doing that. Yeah. It takes time, though, to invest in that. But oh, yeah, you know, it'd be it giving yourself a pay raise in the in the short, medium and long term. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, on this topic, the you know, we talk about the book Profit First is a really good read to kind of put into perspective, like these little small exercises to look at your profitability and your income, your expenses, because if you just take the time to look at all that and make a plan and start making improvements, yeah. you know, you don't need to hire more people and get more jobs to make more money. You can you can make more from what you've already got. You just mm-hmm. got to look at it closer. Yep. Yep. Definitely. No, it's interesting you say that because, and that's one of the, going back to what I said earlier about, like, for example, I was, you know, looking at having, you know, some of these 1099 guys bid the job to me so I can, you know, because when you look at a, 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 some of these projects from start to finish and all the moving parts to, involved in one, you can become completely overwhelmed by all the detail. Mm-hmm. So by eliminating maybe 50% of it, taking that off your plate, it allows you to focus on the other half and really try to understand what's going on, you know, where you're doing things right, where you're doing things wrong, you know? So, um, uh, and I'll give you a, a, just a brief example of that. So for example, um, you know, one of the things would many times happen, in fact, it happened probably on every single job we did, which is at least one cabinet, we would get the door sizes wrong, hmm. you know? So they would come in, we would go to put them up and go, oh, well, hell, these weren't going to fit. This is not right. 
You know, so then you got a delay of about 10 days from the time you replace an order for the replacements to they come in. Then you got to go through the whole cycle of painting, prepping, all that stuff. So we I looked at it and said, well, you know, how can I avoid making that kind of a mistake? And the, and the answer was fairly simple, which was, you know, typically if we're doing a cabinet replacement we're replacing everything they're usually a half inch overlay cabinet door which means it has a face frame the cabinet doors when they close they overlap the opening by a half an inch both top and bottom left to right up and down um one of the ways that we uh, the simple way to to eliminate uh, just making a, a a tape measure error when you're measuring the doors is to also measure the openings so if you know what the opening size is you can cross-reference your door size to the opening size mm-hmm. and right away. If you've made a mistake, if there's, right. a, if you've written it down wrong or something and you can catch it before it becomes a problem. So mm-hmm. it was just a simple procedural change that we made that really helped a lot. Yeah. Really helped a lot. That's good. So, uh, so what would be some parting advice that you would have for the new guy looking to get started in the handyman industry or maybe even transition into more of a trim carpentry, you know, niche you know what would you what would be your parting advice for that guy i would say the first thing i would do is try to get a sense of you know what is i'm good at what is it that i enjoy doing what is it what 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 does my lane look like you know Mm -hmm. you know what is it what is my lane that's number one and then and then you need to have a, a plan you know which you know and the old saying goes is that you know if you don't, you know, what is it? You know, if, you know, if failure to plan is planning to fail. Right. So, you know, get, get yourself a plan. You're in your, you're in your lane. Now, what am I going to do to grow that business in that lane? Um, and, you know, that brings up the other thing, marketing, you know, I think, I think that, you know, that, that handyman marketing booklet you guys put together is really a, a great source of information on, on what to do. I think it's, it's, it's well-written. Anybody who is starting up in business, you can read that in 15 minutes, you can figure out, okay, I need to go do this, you know, hmm. in terms of like, you know, who to, you know, where to put your advertising money and how to spend it, you know, where, where to do it, where not to do it. Um, and I think that's, a, that's another thing. So you need to get, you need to get, you need to be able as quickly as you can develop your web presence and it has mm-hmm. to be a good web presence. You know, I think that is crucial. I mean, it's not like the old days where you put an ad in the yellow pages and people will be searching through for God knows what, and they're going to, you know, give you a call that those days are long gone, you know, so having a great web presence is I think in, in absolutely critical. And then understand your processes and your, your, your costs, you know, you, you got to understand, you know, this is what it costs me to do a job like this. Uh, uh, this is how much I think I can charge my customer and then go about doing it. And then the last piece of advice I would give you, especially if you're doing projects is don't do the project on your money, do it Hmm. on their money. So when we go in, we don't, we, I, I charge no deposits on an estimate or, you know, if someone says, okay, we want you to do the job. I say, great. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't want any money right now. I'm not going to take any till the day we start the day we start they write me a check for 50% of the project right then and there. Hmm. So if it's a $25,000 project, they're going to give me $12,500 right there on the spot. And then we have a, um, a uh, 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 progress payment schedule that we use from, from that point through the close. And mm-hmm. typically if it's going to be a two week project, if it's going to be a two week project, 
or a three-week project, I'll do a 40% deposit and then a 30-30. Uh, a so mm-hmm. the 40, 30, and 30. Do every right. Friday. And the whole idea be, about that is that they're upfronting the money for the project to you. Uh, so they're actually almost acting as if they're like the banker if you have a, cre- a line of credit. you know. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of the project, there's a very small amount due at the end. Man, that's huge. Malcolm, you are a wealth of knowledge. It was a pleasure having you here on this episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Viewers out there, listeners, we've got a few things that we want to recommend. We have a a Handyman Success Mastermind group on Facebook. Malcolm is going to get plugged into that, so he's going to be on that Facebook group. Um, So if you have any questions at all for Malcolm, you can leave them in the comment section of this video or get connected with him on the Handyman Success Mastermind group on Facebook. Great people. Uh, Everyone that's been on our podcast is in that group. So Mm -hmm. there's a wealth of knowledge there. Also, check out the Handyman Journey Facebook group um, on Handyman Journey Mastermind group on Facebook. uh, Another place where there's a whole great wealth of knowledge. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys are listening on YouTube, go ahead and like this video. Subscribe to this channel. Uh, Anywhere else, leave us a comment. Send us an email um, at handymanjourney at gmail.com there's a few different emails a few different ways to reach us but um, just send out a smoke signal we'll hear you <laughs> we're if here you need, to help <laughs> yeah if you need any help at all give Jason a call this guy does fantastic websites at uh, handymanmarketingpros.com reach out to me at handymanjourney.com we would absolutely love to help you with your business and Malcolm thank you so 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 much for being on this podcast we appreciate hey, my you guys. my pleasure yeah. my pleasure thank you have all a right. great day everyone we'll see you on the